This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show, and welcome to a special edition of The Reverend and the Rabbi with Reverend Michael McSherry, the senior pastor at the Edwards Church, and Rabbi Justin David from Congregation B'nai Israel, both congregations being here in Northampton. I wanted to talk to, to these two religious leaders in our community today about a topic that I have been pondering, considering, and worrying about a lot recently. It comes from, the, this consideration comes from decisions from the Supreme Court near the end of its term. Of course, there was the abortion decision, Dobbs, in which the Supreme Court basically threw out 50 years of, of precedent and ruled that the right of uh, autonomy, a woman's right to control her own body, the right of privacy, all that really should be thrown out the window because it's not in the Supreme Court. The word abortion doesn't appear in the Constitution, and that's the end of the story. And a lot of uh, verbiage about how the previous decisions were wrong, wrong from the beginning, as the court put it. It was a very disturbing opinion because it basically said that the Supreme Court can just ignore precedent as it wishes. Um, so that was one very disturbing opinion, not only for the result, but for the analysis. The other opinion that was very disturbing, or another opinion that was very disturbing, was the case from West Virginia. This is the Environmental Protection Agency case in which the Supreme Court uh, not, well, it didn't throw out precedent. It just created a new theory, a new legal theory to reach the decision which it did, which is that the Environmental Protection Agency could not regulate uh, those coal-fired plants and uh, regulate uh, global warming uh, or regulate uh, emissions that lead to global warming. Uh, and we, so the first case, the, the Dobbs case that I mentioned, the court just threw out precedent. The second decision, the court just invented a new legal theory. Um, and then there's the decision from a case that came from uh, uh, Maine where the court said that the state of Maine had to support religious education and religious institutions based on religious dogma and theology. Um, we can talk about how the state of Maine reacted and responded to that, but the courts threw out precedent again and really uh, uh, took a scalpel, well, maybe a sledgehammer, to the separation of church and state. Uh, and that decision was very disturbing. And then there was another case that uh, disturbing not only for its result, but how the court got to the result. And that's the case that comes from Washington State which is uh, Kennedy versus the Bremerton School District. That's the case, I'm sure everyone has heard about this, where the coach held pr a prayer service on the 50-yard line. Very public, the team gathered around him, affidavits from uh, some players saying, I felt compelled to join. And the court said, well, it was a private prayer service. There's a freedom of speech issue here. There's a freedom of the right to practice one's religion. And it was private. It was just private. It was a little... Uh, uh, very personal event from the coach. And the uh, dissent in the case did something that was extremely unusual. It put in a photograph from the record of the team gathered around him at this very public, intentionally public, prayer service being run by the coach that put an enormous pressure, I think, on the team and on others to participate. Leading all of this, leading me to believe that the Supreme Court... Oh, I have one other comment I'd like to make about that uh, 
decision that comes from Washington State, the Kennedy case, the Bremerton School District case, and that is, would it really have come out the same way if it were something other than a Christian prayer service on the 50-yard line? So with all of that, I am led to the uh, conclusion that what we have here is an enormous push from the Supreme Court to really turn America into its vision that is a Christian nation with uh, uh, the uh, dominant religion or a dominant religion being dominant in many, many spheres of the country's life and the separation of church and state being really just a formally quaint idea that we had in the Constitution, the Establishment Clause, which is, of course, the basis for the separation of church and state, really not being that meaningful. All of which I'd like to bring to the attention of the Reverend Michael McSherry from Edwards Church and Rabbi Justin David from Congregation B'nai Israel. Let me start with you, Reverend McSherry. What's your view? Am I overstating this? Am I too concerned? Uh, should I be uh, on this ledge? And can you talk me off if I am? Um, on the ledge, you might have a lot of company. The ledge better be very deep. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, we're going to be ledging each other off. Um, the, the troubling trend to me, Bill, is um, that the court, and, and I'll, I'll come around to a moral stand, but I want to start with a legal comment, and that is you know that a case that for many years um, provided imperfect guidance, but guidance nonetheless about the government becoming too embroiled in picking winners um, in, in uh, when religious voices sought um, to be heard in the public square. And that was the lemon test. Um, you know, to the, the, the government should avoid getting too involved in uh, being seen as promoting one voice over another. And so I'm wondering what's going to happen when this, uh, our Supreme Court is faced with a case uh, in which uh, someone who's not uh, a mainline Christian of, of, of fundamental or conservative or any other stripe, but if someone um, says, consistent with my religious beliefs, I need to have access to an abortion. Consistent with my religious beliefs, um, I can't have uh, fundamentalist Christian beliefs imposed on me. Um, it's very troubling to me when, you know, when the court, perhaps not even aware, but I think they are, um, starts to champion religious liberty for a conservative Christian voice. I have to wait and see, but I'm fearful what's going to happen when um, a liberal Jewish voice or a liberal Muslim voice wants the same treatment. I want to see if they're willing to stand up for those voices. Yeah, you know, I think that that's an, a very important point, but I also think that uh, what happens is that because Christianity is so dominant that we have many more Christian schools, we have many more uh, people who want to have the Christian prayer service on the 50-yard line. And so uh, even if the court were to rule for a religion that has a smaller number of adherents uh, and congregants, that it still nonetheless promotes and is intended to promote 
uh, Christianity and evangelical Christianity in particular. Uh, and, uh, and that is the uh, religious and political and ideological bent of a majority of the court. Jesus, Justin's trying to speak. Justin? Yeah. Justin will need to unmute him because we had muted him because he... I tried to do this all secretly in the chat and all that. <laughs> but I thought I'd tell right. our listeners. Yeah. Right. Bring, everyone, bring everyone in on it. I know. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, no, I wanted to... Uh, Michael, uh, you were... Um, you started to say as a Christian, and then we had a technological blip that got you cut off. I want, I want to hear the end of that thought. So I would emphasize to other Christians that Jesus not only said, you know, go therefore and convert others at one point in the Gospels. Jesus also made room for people to live and practice as they lived and practiced. Jesus did not go around trying to convert people to Christianity, which didn't exist yet. He just sought to, um, at least in my understanding, enact, um, enact a, an ethic of freeing people from poverty, freeing people from disease, uh, freeing people from, from being enmeshed in systems that oppressed them, um, that requires some interpretation of the Christian scripture, but I think one way to um, at least engage in conversation with other Christians who would impose their way of understanding Christianity is to go back into the Christian texts and lift up those aspects of them that caution us against imposing our theology on others. And those texts are there. Yeah. Let me let me turn to you, Rabbi. Um, do you have these concerns? Do you? Oh yeah. Worry about where oh, this yeah, is sure. heading? And so what, just just what, one point on what what you just said, Michael. You know, um, uh, as a good rabbinic Jew, uh, I have a fondness for the Book of Matthew, and um, uh, lately I've been going back to the Anchor Bible Commentary on Matthew with a great biblical scholar. William Albright, uh, who also commented on um, uh, Genesis. And in it, he makes the observation that, uh, that Jesus in the teachings in the book of Matthew is actually someone who is really an adherent of the law, right? So all this is so ironic because there's nothing in the law, certainly the law, law of the Torah, uh, in uh, proselytizing to people who who don't share um, your uh, belief uh, because uh, if the belief is true, uh, it doesn't need proselytizing. It speaks for itself. People have their own conscience and consciousness. But that—that's not. That's we'll we'll put that in the parking lot. You know, um, as I'm seeing these cases unfold, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going back to where I was um, as a young teenager. And these were some of the first issues that came into my own political consciousness um, way back when. And it's, you know, absolutely clear that the court is enacting what has been a, you know, 40-year-long process of trying to normal normalize what some 
try to articulate as a kind of, you know, conservative Christian original American culture. And the question is, well, what is that? How do we understand that in 2022? And I have two pieces of shorthand. Um, one is that what's new is, I guess, what people would say is the weaponizing of traditional protections. So, um, you know, what I have seen is that um, certainly the Jewish community and, and other minority communities have always looked to, um, you know, free, the free speech, you know, the equal protection clause and free speech as just as what it is, is protection of minority voices. Uh, and now we're seeing that weaponized in, um, in, you know, for the purposes of kind of a right wing Christian political domination. So that's, that's uh, deeply disturbing. Um, you know, the, 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 other, uh, the other piece we're seeing uh, is perhaps a reaction to the fear or maybe even the reality, I don't know the demographics on this, that um, certainly white Christianity is something that's on the decline, right? And, and, um, and for, um, you know, certain political actors, uh, the response to that is to retrench and to assert a position of domination. Um, and that's not, you know, that that's incredibly damaging. Um, I'll close by saying this, you know, my last week of college, I uh, finally, in, in 1990, I picked up The Handmaid's Tale. And, um, and I read it, you know, like up till one, two in the morning, you know, in a couple of sittings. And it was so clear that she was responding uh, to the trends that the political trends that had been bubbling in the late 70s, early 80s, and put that into the novel. And I thought at the time, we, uh, you know, we, we escaped the worst of it. Um, and now we're seeing that resurgence. And I think the, the timing of the, uh, the series was just perfect for this because it gives us a window, I think, into the fantasy world of what some very powerful political actors actually want to see happen. This is a special edition of The Reverend and the Rabbi with Rabbi Justin David and Reverend Michael McSherry. We'll be right back with more right after these messages. I happened on to meet a stranger with a package in his hand. He said, Mister, if you follow me, rainbow colors you will see. I'll take your head into the promised land. Friend, I don't This is Bill Newman, WHMP. My Jesus is enough. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP.
When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley Co-op. This Tuesday, the Pines Theater at Look Park in Florence will be transported back in time to the 90s for Performance 32, Nevermind the 90s, a live tribute musical fundraiser. All your favorite local hero bands will be performing as their favorite bands from the 90s. Spanish for Hitchhiking as Pearl Jam, Winter Pills as The Sundays, Soul Magnets as Miss Lauren Hill, Sun Parade as Elliot Smith, Gemaya Diggs as Whitney Houston, Problems with Dragons as Nirvana, Bunnies as They Might Be Giants, and so many more. Each year in August, the Northampton Arts Council and the parent-teacher organizations of Northampton's public school system join forces to raise funds for arts enrichment in the schools and our community for the premier end-of-the-summer musical party. Performance 32, never mind the 90s. This Tuesday, starting at 4 p.m., Pines Theater, Look Park. Tickets available in person at State Street Food Store in Northampton and Cooper's Corner in Florence. Or buy online, hamparts.org. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at NorthamptonNeighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This is a special edition of The Reverend and the Rabbi with Reverend Michael McCherry, Senior Pastor of the Edwards Church and Rabbi Con uh, Justin David from Congregation B'nai Israel. We've been talking about the push of the Supreme Court towards a creating a Christian-dominated uh, country. Uh, it's also a theme that's going to uh, be prominent in the Congress should the Republicans take over uh, and, for example, pass a law banning abortion across the country, making it illegal, which, of course, is part of the push of the evangelical right. And uh, the concern, or one concern that this raises, is that uh, it would prohibit, as does in, as a practical matter, the uh, recent decision, the Dobbs decision, uh, reversing Roe versus Wade, which it prohibits while it imposes this uh, uh, view that human life begins at conception and a fertilized egg is a human being, um, it denies the rights of other religions 
and other uh, persons saying, I want to have an abortion. My religion actually not only permits that, but really commands it in some instances, and that my religious beliefs are being denied because of this other religious belief, which is now essentially embedded in the Supreme Court decision in Dobbs. And I'm wondering if you have some thoughts that you could share with us about that. Should we start with you, Reverend McSherry, and then we'll go to the rabbi. Brief as I can, I think um, I started to allude earlier that you know the themes in the, the ministry of Jesus that we can pick up from the Gospels, and in uh, at least two or three of the Gospels, three I think he he embeds the theme of his ministry in Isaiah, saying, you know I've come to free the oppressed, to you know repair the broken, etc. And um, if you look at what affects the um, trajectory of women's lives when they're born in uh, poverty or um, middle-class conditions, you know, uh, blue-collar conditions, it's access to family planning. And, um, you know, what, what could be more liberating than to have agency over, you know, the trajectory of one's own life? So if we um, deprive women of family planning, we are um, consigning them to um, much more limiting circumstances, which doesn't seem to me to be consistent with the uh, the theme of Jesus's ministry. It also seems to be a denial of fundamental rights of uh, persons who, well, I'll just leave it there. Denial of fundamental human rights. Well, let me turn well, to you know. Yeah. Then what? What's your what? What is your um, philosophy or theology of human nature? You know what? You know what are you know just a little lower than the angels? We you know we we can be trusted with big decisions. Rabbi Justin David, your thoughts? Um, many. Um, you know the argument that um, that the um, ruling of the Supreme Court and the prohibition of abortion um, impinges on the religious rights of people who believe, according to their own religious convictions, that abortion is not only permissible but in, but mandated, uh, is something that uh, fits uh, squarely in Jewish tradition and, and modern Jewish practice. And you know, if you drive by the synagogue right now, you'll see um, you know you'll see a big banner that says "Reproductive choice is a Jewish value," and it's true. The tradition is built around the idea that um, people um, have choices uh, in that, you know, to, to terminate a pregnancy and, and it's, and life, uh, you know, and life does not begin at conception. Um, but I think that's really a, that's really a tactic. That's a strategy uh, and an argument. I think the issue lies much deeper. And I think the much stronger critique um, is that uh, you know, something akin to what Michael just said, that the actions of the court and the actions of legislatures to outlaw abortion is an act of religious domination. And that is uh, a legal wrong, it's a cultural wrong, and it's a moral wrong. And, um, uh, and it's, it's a, uh, a wrong against, uh, you know, people's bodily autonomy uh, and their conscience and against society. And, um, you know, I trust in 
in the near future, we're going to be making those arguments really strongly. We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Rabbi Justin David and Reverend Michael McSherry on this very special edition of The Reverend and the Rabbi. Thank you both so very much. Thank you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Help yourself. Help yourself. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Cooper's Corner and State Street Fruit Store in Florence is changing hands. Rich Cooper, whose family built and nurtured the market, is selling the business to a longtime employee who's committed to honoring the legacy. Florence native Mike Natale has worked at State Street and Cooper since 2006 in various roles, steadily rising into management and most recently serving as general manager. Cooper has been involved with the business his father launched his entire life and says it was important to him to keep the stores locally owned and locally committed. I'm Monty Belmonte, WHMP. The State Department of Veteran Services jumped the gun when it announced a federal award of $130 million toward building a new soldier's home in Holyoke. Mass Live is reporting that no money has yet been awarded. The state is still on the waiting list to find out if it will receive the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs construction funding. Major General Gary Keefe says the press release was worded wrong and should have said offered and not awarded. Keefe said leaders at the home expect to get word on whether they're approved for the conditional funding within the next two to three weeks. Greenfield Counselor Jasper Lipinski is being censured. Vice President Dan Gwynn put forth the motion to censure Counselor Lipinski immediately with the expectation that the conduct will cease. This comes after multiple instances of Councillor Lipinski violating the City Council Code of Conduct, including an op-ed published in the Greenfield Recorder on another councillor's participation in a protest. A drying trend today and a warming trend as we head into the weekend. Partly to mostly sunny and windy today, a high of 78 to 82. Mostly clear tonight, breezy. Evening temperatures in the 70s, overnight low of 52 to 58. Mostly sunny, breezy tomorrow, 84 to 88. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El presidente Joe Biden promulgó el proyecto de ley de cambio climático y atención médica histórico de los demócratas el martes, entregando lo que llamó la pieza final de su agenda nacional reducida, ya que apunta a mejorar la posición de su partido entre los votantes en menos de tres meses antes de las elecciones intermedias. La legislación incluye la inversión federal más sustancial en la historia para combatir el cambio climático, unos 375 mil millones de dólares durante la década y limitaría los costos de los medicamentos recetados a $2,000 dólares anuales de bolsillo para los beneficiarios de Medicare. También ayudaría a aproximadamente 13 millones de estadounidenses a pagar el seguro de atención médica al extender los subsidios proporcionados durante la pandemia de coronavirus. La medida se paga con nuevos impuestos a las grandes empresas y una mayor aplicación del IRS a las personas y entidades adineradas con fondos adicionales destinados a reducir el déficit federal. En otras informaciones, a los distritos escolares de Massachusetts se les dijo el lunes que deberían enfocar sus estrategias de mitigación de COVID-19 hacia las personas vulnerables y sintomáticas este próximo año escolar, en lugar de implementar requisitos universales de uso de máscaras o pruebas de vigilancia de estudiantes y personal asintomáticos. El comisionado de Educación Jeff Riley y la comisionada de Salud Pública Margaret Cook distribuyeron un memorando el lunes diciéndoles a los distritos que el Estado no está 
recomendando requisitos universales de máscaras, pruebas de vigilancia de personas asintomáticas, rastreo de contactos o pruebas de permanencia en las escuelas y recordándoles que no existen requisitos de prueba o mascarillas en todo el estado. Riley dijo el lunes que está esperando que el año escolar vuelva lo más cerca posible de las normas previas a la pandemia. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Earlier this morning, Monty caught up with Congressman Jim McGovern, who of course was here recently on a farm tour, and Monty spoke to him about that and the future of democracy in light of Liz Cheney's huge defeat in the Republican primary in Wyoming. I thought it would be important for our listeners to hear that interview. So here we go. Time for our weekly check-in with U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts and the chair of the Rules Committee, Congressman Jim McGovern. Congressman McGovern spent two days this week visiting farms in central and western Massachusetts, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But first to politics. This week, Congressman... President Biden signed landmark legislation long in the making and in some uh, moderated or watered down version of a bill compared to the one that had originally uh, been proposed, but was signed and then handed the pen over to Joe Manchin, who held the Democrats hostage and made them water the bill down. Tell me your thoughts on the signing of this, uh, I guess, small victory, perhaps, for the Biden administration, or is this a big victory? Well, you know, it. Look, we all wanted more, um, and uh, the Build Back Better bill that we originally passed in the House, I think, was uh, uh, bolder and bigger, and uh, I think would have had a bigger impact on on uh, struggling families in this country to help kind of lift them up. But having said all that, this is a big deal. Um, I mean, it gives Medicare the ability to negotiate lower prescription drugs for senior citizens. It puts a cap for Medicare beneficiaries on the, the cost of insulin, caps it at $35. It, it uh, provides uh, important subsidies for the Affordable Care Act, which will mean that millions of people won't see their premiums go up uh, in their health insurance. Um, it, it, it helps lower the, 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 uh, the, the deficit and the debt, and um, it is the biggest investment to combat climate change in our history ever. Um, and some of that uh, money, uh, as I talked about during our farm tour, uh, $20 billion of it goes to help uh, with, our, uh, with agriculture, with our farmers, to make the necessary adjustments to, and, and get, get the infrastructure they need to combat, uh, to deal with, with, the, with the impact of climate change. So this is a big deal. There's no doubt about it. It's a great victory. What I wanted, did I want it bigger? Yeah, I did. But, you know, let's not uh, make the... Uh, the perfect, the enemy of the good. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad it's done. Um, and it, I think in many respects, it's going to be transformational. Sometimes, though, the bad is the enemy of the good. And there are things that it, that are, seem to me to be bad, including, you know, giveaways of public lands to, to drilling. It seems like the, as of late, especially with gas prices so high, that the position of the Democratic Party has transitioned to one closer to John McCain's drill baby drill position. What What's your take on those elements that get added into a bill like this when it ostensibly is there to be fighting climate change? Right. Well, none of us, well, people like me are not happy with that. But, you know, on balance, I mean, look, I mean, we had to get Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema to sign on to this bill. Um, I mean, that's just the reality. And, um, you know, and so there were some, you know, trade-offs here. 
But those trade-offs, as distasteful as they are, uh, do not outweigh the good in this bill. Um, and uh, even, you know, uh, you know, groups like the Sunrise uh, said that, look, we think the system stinks and it's rigged, but you got to support this bill. Uh, and, uh, again, it is the largest investment to combat climate uh, change ever. Uh, and, uh, and hopefully this is a, a first of many steps. And my hope is that this provides some wind at the back of, uh, of Democrats in the midterm elections uh, in, a set, in a way that uh, people will turn out and vote. And, um, and if we can get another two senators um, in the United States Senate, we can, we can do even more, not just through the process we call reconciliation, which, where you don't need 60 votes, but we can even amend the filibuster. And if we can hold the House, I mean, we could do amazing things. We can build on this. So this is a big deal. I'm glad it passed. It's not perfect. Uh, but, uh, you know, the bad stuff in this bill, uh, you know, in my opinion, uh, the good stuff far outweighs the bad stuff. Speaking of upcoming elections, the big political story this week was about uh, Liz Cheney, who is a Republican representative in your House currently, but not for much longer with her loss in Wyoming in the primary there, Republicans who have stood up to Trump are dropping like flies. Are the Democrats really going to have enough of a message that can overcome the Trump effect when even traditional Republicans like Liz Cheney can't win over Republican voters? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know what has happened to the Republican Party, but it really is disappointing. It's, it's sad for the country, quite frankly, uh, because uh, you had a party that, uh, you know, traditionally uh, stood for fiscal conservatism, you know, now uh, seems to be standing for, you know, QAnon conspiracy theories. And I look at, I, I, you know, in the aftermath of Liz's loss, I mean, I, I tweeted that, uh, you know, Liz, Cheney and I are polar political opposites. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, um, but, but I admire the fact that she has stood up to this wannabe dictator who's you know, hiding out in Mar-a-Lago right now. Um, and, you know, that she has put the Constitution in the country first. You know, p- politics is not always about just winning. Sometimes you have to take a stand, even if you lose, based on principle, because it's the right thing to do for the country. And, um, you know, my hope is that uh, there are a lot of people who have watched her and have, you know, watched her uh, concession speech and, and maybe will think twice uh, before ever voting for this man again. Uh, but, uh but look, I mean, I think the contrast between Democrats and Republicans has never been greater. I mean, again, we're not even Republicans don't even stand for truth or fact um, or anything rational anymore. It, it's all about, you know, kneeling at the altar of Donald Trump and genuflecting to him and, you know, and, and, and just fueling his ego. Uh, he's a dangerous man. And I've said this before. I mean, I really do believe that if the Trump elements prevail in these midterm elections and God forbid he wins uh, the presidency two years from now, we are moving towards fascism in this country. And I know it's a tough word, but it, it, it is what I, it is, it is, it is what they stand for. And people need to wake up. Even conservative Republicans need to wake up and say, for the sake of this country, we cannot reward them in these midterm elections. But if a Liz Cheney can't wake them up with the name Cheney, you know, you don't get much more, Mainline Republican and the daughter of the former vice president, a longtime GOP uh, participant, uh, Dick Cheney. What can the Democrats do to overcome that? 
Well, Wyoming is a tough state. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But there were lots of close races uh, all over the country uh, where so-called moderate Republicans are going to decide, uh, you know, who wins. And my hope is that there were enough of them uh, who care about this country, who love this country, uh, that will do the right thing. You spent two days in your district going to visit 13 different farms, Just Roots and Greenfield, Red Fire and Montague, Brookfield Farm and Amherst, Barstow and Hadley, Next Barn Over and Hadley, Grow Food Northampton, Pie in the Skyberry Farm in Northampton, Old Friends Farm in Amherst, Seeds of Solidarity in Orange, as well as farms in outside of our listening area in Petersham and, and Barry and Gilbertville and Rutland. Was there uh, common themes that came up in your farm tour, Congressman, that you were hearing from uh, from the farmers across your district? First of all, I'm grateful to all the farmers and farm workers that welcomed me, um, and uh, and not just me. I I brought along uh, you know federal and state agricultural uh, representatives as well, um, and um, you know and others um, who were who were very supportive of our, of our local agriculture. Look, I mean, we heard a lot about climate change over and over and over again. Uh, we heard a lot about the impact that this drought is having um, on agriculture. Uh, we learned a lot about the importance of uh, maintaining healthy soil and, and rewarding good farming practices, um, the, the importance of continued support at the federal and state level to help with uh, uh, climate change mitigation, infrastructure, other things that are important to our farmers. Um, you know, and uh, I also learned that, you know, uh, I, I probably last about two minutes on a farm. These, pe- these people work really hard. Um, and they provide a necessary service to our community, and that is food and nourishment. And we need to be wind at their backs. Um, Agriculture is an important part of our economy, uh, but, you know, just as importantly, uh, food that is grown locally um, and grown and raised in a responsible manner uh, deserves our support. We all need to make a, a greater effort to support our local farms and our local agriculture and our farm workers as well. So it was, in, I, look, I, I had a wonderful two days. It was inspirational. And, um, and, you know, I've learned that farms come in many shapes and sizes and people are doing amazing uh, things. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm on the agriculture committee, the farm bill is coming up. We want to make sure that we're highlighting some of the best practices here in Massachusetts, but we have a lot to be proud of uh, in agriculture in Massachusetts. And, it was a real privilege to be welcomed on all these farms. Eat anything particularly delicious at uh, any of them? I, I what didn't I eat? I mean, <laughs> you know, tomatoes, cucumbers, you know, blueberries. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've, uh, you know, uh, you know, I mean, milk. I mean, you name it. It was, it was, it was wonderful. Uh, and again, we are very, very lucky. And sometimes we take our local agriculture for granted. Um, less so in the Pioneer Valley. I think that, uh, you know, there's a, a greater appreciation of, of all the wonderful things that are going on. But still, it's tough. Um, and again, climate change has, has, has played a real role in complicating the lives of farmers. I mean, last year there was too much rain. This year there's no rain. Um, and, you know, God only knows what next year brings. Uh, but uh, but, but it, it, it's just it's remarkable uh, to see how uh, farmers and farm workers can, you know, continue to persevere in spite of all the obstacles that are thrown in their pathway. But I, I, I loved it. I really did. And I, 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 I you know, I, when I finally got back to Worcester last night, I mean, I was, 
I was telling Lisa, uh, God, I, I these, this was a, this was an incredible two days, uh, and uh, and so uh, you know I look forward to taking the lessons that I've learned to Washington, and uh, and I, may, I and we've even talked about trying to bring Secretary of Agriculture Vilsack up, you know, to have him here firsthand from our local farmers about what makes New England farming so unique uh, that that the, 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 the challenges here should not uh, be forgotten as we're developing national agricultural policy. U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, who was all through the district over two days visiting 13 different farms, joins us almost every week, although you're off next week, Congressman. So enjoy your time off, well, from me at least. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not going to be necessarily on vacation. I'm actually going to California to do a... Uh, listening session with Speaker Pelosi in San Francisco uh, in preparation for this White House conference uh, on nutrition, health, and hunger. So, Do you have um, a date yet? We don't have a date yet, <laughs> but as soon as the first president then knows. But, uh, but anyway, but, uh, but the preparation for this conference really is impressive. And again, there are listening sessions, uh, virtual listening sessions, and in-person sessions. That's what we're going to be doing in San Francisco. So, uh, you know, I, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm expecting big things, so that's that's where I am on all of this. But thank you, and I will let you know as soon as I get a date. Well, thank you, Congressman. We'll talk to you again in two weeks. All right, all the best. Be safe. Hey, Monty, um, that was really interesting, and I wondered if you could share with our listeners a bit more about this conference at the White House about hunger that I know that Congressman McGovern has been pushing for for a long time. We talked about it when it was first announced. Bring our listeners in on this conversation, if you would. Well, what's been going on as of late is mostly virtual listening sessions from different areas across the country that Congressman McGovern has been organizing, listening to community activists and people who are experiencing food insecurity in different locations throughout the country. New York City, as he mentioned, going to San Francisco, has been to some more rural areas, and uh, many of them are open for anybody's participation. I know many of our organizers and activists in this area have uh, participated in the, the listening sessions he's had in this area. But this is something since the Obama administration, actually, that uh, the congressman has been pushing towards, because the last time this happened was when you know, WIC, Women, Infants, and Children, and Food Stamps was created. Huge programs that have gone a distance to help fight food insecurity. And as he's mentioned so many times throughout the duration of time with the March for the Food Bank and, and at, on the air here, he believes that um, hunger is a political condition that can be overcome. And the fact that the White House is willing to do this sometime in September, that's why I'm pushing him for a date, um, is big and could be the next phase of fighting hunger as a country. And is the point of the conference at the White House to try to come up with legislative proposals to expand already existing programs? Do you have some sense of that? Yeah. So he's getting a bunch of department heads from all sorts of aspects of government as opposed to just, you know, the agricultural committee. It's, it's agriculture and plus, 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 as many different committees as possible where all of these things intersect. And one of the big things when you study right, because, hunger right. is that it is it's such a multifaceted problem. It's not a charity thing. You know what I mean? It's, a, it is a, it's an agricultural thing, and it is a poverty thing, and it is a work-related thing, and it's a transportation thing. It hits all of these aspects. So having the White House conference bring players from all of these parts of government and parts of the country that are working together to come up with a solution together, either to expand or maybe to come up with new solutions uh, for how to address food insecurity. And food insecurity is actually a, uh, one area where conservatives 
and liberals, if we can use old terms, actually can come together. So farmers want to produce food. Food stamps is a uh, winning political argument in the farm belt, in the conservative farm belt. It's not just a, you know, the, uh, uh, a question of somehow people getting something from the government for nothing, um, you know, that kind of, those tropes that come from the right wing. And it seems to me that there's a real possibility here. And I'm wondering, before we just take our last break, did you have some sense from the congressman of his hope from this conference? I think he has extremely high hopes for it. And I think it's smart to bring in so many different uh, branches of, not branches in the traditional sense, but different office heads from the different aspects of government and to bring in as many uh, Republicans as he possibly can. Unfortunately, um, the Indiana representative, Jackie Walorski, who was killed in a car crash earlier this month, was one of his biggest um, advocates on the Republican side for this. So um, I earnestly believe that even um, your, let's say, less traditional Republicans of the Trump era don't want people to starve. So can we come up with a solution together that we can all work on together, that we can all agree with, and find a role for the government to have in helping feed people? And that is what the goal of the, the conference is. When we find out when the dates are, the plan is that I would go to Washington, D.C., and broadcast from the conference, so and which would lead into the so the kickoff for the March for the Food Bank, twenty twenty two, which will happen again Thanksgiving week. Congratulations, Monty. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. But I don't see wine here, Ringo. What do you got? Well, who am I? You're the spirit guy. Uh-oh. So you're taking me down the road of spirits. There's custom glass issues. So anything that comes in custom glass is having trouble globally. There was an American whiskey that was the bottle was causing a holdup that was hard to get, right? What one was that? Bullet bourbon. Oh, yeah, right. Which is a custom glass issue. You know, they have all the stuff. Most of these whiskeys are 3, 4, 10, 18 years old. Way before COVID. Way before any supply chain issue so it's not a production issue it's a bottling and shipping issue we're tasting whiskey today and these are all gonna be single malts but a lot of the famous single malts we're used to ordering them a certain way but we can't order them in that way because they're not getting in enough of those things so the price will go up 20 25 30 dollars on the shelf we're not going to pass that on to the consumers we're just going to go we don't have it but we have other options these are single malt whiskey alternatives i like cheap find your favorite whiskey and your next favorite whiskey at state street Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the City of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on vaccine clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson & Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages five and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every clinic for your questions or concerns. Booster shots are one more layer of protection against COVID-19, and they prevent a huge number of people from needing to go to the hospital. We want to protect our most vulnerable or simply unlucky neighbors from getting the virus. We can't afford to let our guard down. 
If your Spanish-speaking employees spoke better English, would that be good for business? If your English-speaking employees spoke a little Spanish, would that be good for business? The International Language Institute delivers workplace language training, improving communication among coworkers and with customers. You get financial assistance with the Massachusetts Workplace Training Express Fund. They cover 50 to 100% of the cost. So let's get going. Call or email the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Help a local baby stay fresh. One in three local families sometimes have to choose between diapers and feeding their kids. Let's wipe out diaper need in our communities. Donate diapers and wipes or cash through August 31st during the United Way Diaper Drive. Drop off new or clean opened packages of diapers or pull-ups at locations across Franklin and Hampshire counties. Find out how and where to donate at uw-fh.org forward slash diaper drive. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Let's spend our last few minutes together today with a fish wrap. Today's newspaper is tomorrow's fish wrap. First, the front page of the Daily Hampshire Gazette under the headline, Students Call for Seeley's Ouster. College's first president denounced as supporter of indigenous genocide. On Tuesday, a group of Smith College School for Social Work students draped banners over Seeley's name on the front of the building. It's the large academic building at Smith. You can't miss it. Uh, and and in front of that portrait had signs that said, Down with Seeley, SSW School, Social Work Reparations. Now, the organizers of the morning's protest, they want to draw attention to the first, to first and foremost to the anti-racist demands that students of color in the School for Social Work have been making for years. They have demanded the removal of Seeley from campus, a man who they note celebrated the destruction of indigenous villages in the region. Good for the students. Good for them. I mean, how can we say, yes, you have to take down those Civil War uh, uh, memorials to uh, uh, generals who led the rebellion uh, and led the South, and we can have these kinds of celebrations in the liberal colleges of the Northeast. Let's have some consistency here, it seems to me. Another matter, let's turn to something that's uh, uh, also on the front page. This is from the Republican, North Dateline, Northampton. Landmark markets, sorry, landmark markets sold to general manager Richard Cooper will retire in October. Monty, old friend of yours, what do you have to say, my man? That might be the first time I've heard him called Richard Cooper. Uh, everybody <laughs> calls him Rich. That's true. All the time. That's true. And, uh, you know, it's been my delight to know him and the whole Coopers and State Street family for in the entirety of the time I've been in the Valley for 20 years. And as you have probably heard a bazillion times on the commercials here, or if you listen to my show on the river, everything I know about wine, I learned because he uh, allowed me in there weekly to go and bother his staff uh, with a bunch of questions and get uh, slightly inebriated in the middle of the day <laughs> and, <laughs> and learn about wine, as well as being a staunch supporter of like the work that we do here at yes, the radio he's great. station. He's great. Um, at, and when we've done the March for the Food Bank over the last couple of years, making uh, State Street and Cooper's available to uh, support the food bank through there, like, you know, as such a community asset for, tr for performance that's happening on Tuesday, the benefit for the uh, arts in the Northampton schools. If you want to get tickets in real life, you've got to go to State Street and you've got to go to Cooper's. Um, and I think maybe it was when I saw him driving the red Tesla around, I knew that it, it might be coming close to retirement time for Rich Cooper. And uh, selling it to Mike Natale, who I've also known for an awfully long time. The current general manager. Yes. He's such a great guy. He's such a, 
you can't, this is literally what you hear every time you go into um, State Street. Mike Natale, call Park 11. Mike, call Park 11. Classic. <laughs> I literally call him Mike Natale, call Park 11 every time I see him. Yeah, so my name for the person who will be taking over is Mike Natale, call Park 11. But he's so Which happy. means what? It means that somebody is calling for him specifically, and they are parked on the number 11 on their phone system. But you hear it so frequently, but it just goes to show you how busy he is working so hard there. So he's going to be... Great, and his whole family has worked at State Street or Cooper's. There's a, a funny little thing that that um, Deni- that Denise <laughs> <laughs> Jess was reporting on this morning that all five of Mike's siblings, his father, a niece, a nephew, have all worked uh, at the store over the years. So it, I think it's going to be in good hands, both State Street and Cooper's. Finally, program note: Dateline Boston Senate acting first on tax bill, not impossible. So the Senate. In Massachusetts, may act on a tax bill first. We're talking about a huge amount of money that is or is not coming back to us. We'll ask Lindsay Sabadosa, who will be our guest, Representative Sabadosa, will be our guest tomorrow on the show. Thank you all for spending some of your day with us. Monty, thank you for all you bring to this, and thank you for all you do for our community. We'll see you back here again tomorrow. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. There goes the light. Go ahead. You're on the air. When Radio Was relives the golden age of radio. Do you ever listen to the radio? Oh, I might tune in one of those comedy programs occasionally. Can't you see anything at all under that blindfold? Well, on a clear day, I can see the blindfold. You can. I'm Greg Bell, and join me with a switch of a dial. When Radio Was brings you a whole world at your command. When Radio Was, right here, Sunday nights from 8 to 10 on 101.5 WHMP. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Bacon Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Bacon's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10 o'clock.